You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. Today, um, we're going to continue our series, Let Us Pray. We're on part six of this series. Uh, I do want to just tell you and repent, I lied to you last week. I told you that we would be on this part of the series for two weeks. That's a lie. It'll be three weeks. We'll be on the the ask part of pray. Um, as I was digging into it a little bit more, last week we talked about intercession, and today we were going to talk about petition and then perseverance, what happens when our prayers are not answered. But as I began to sort of think on it, pray on it, read on it, I'm like, that deserves its own week. Un- unanswered prayers. Anybody ever had unanswered prayers? Yeah, that deserves its own sort of week. Trying to fit it in the last moment um, just did not feel right or good. Um, and so I decided that's not what we're going to do. We're going we're to talk about petitioning the Lord today. And next week we'll talk about um, unanswered prayers and how do we persevere in those moments. So we're on part six. Again, and we're going through Pete Gregg's book, um, Teach Us to Pray. Is that right? How to Pray. I get it wrong every time. It's right here. How to Pray. And in this book, he breaks down the Lord's Prayer into sort of an acronym of pray, um, from pause to rejoice to ask and then to yield. And we're on the ask part of pray. Uh, Last week, this week, and then next week, we'll finish up the A of that part of it. Um, I'm going to start again from uh, a quote from Pete Gregg's book that I think just sets up the stage for this area of, of asking. It says, this prayer means many things to many people. But at simplest and most immediate, it means asking God for help. Anybody ever been there before? The only thing you know how to say is help, right? It's quite the prayer. Help. I need somebody. Help. Not just anybody. Okay. Um, The Lord's Prayer, it goes on to say the Lord's Prayer invites us to ask God for everything from daily bread to thy kingdom come. And those are two really diverse ideas, two ends of a spectrum of, I just need provision for today and let your kingdom break forth in, you know, those are big ideas, right? That kingdom come for ourselves, which is petition, and for others, which is intercession. And last week we talked about intercession. Today we want to talk about petition. So we're taking this from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 2, and then into the Lord's Prayer, which we'll recite together. But 11, 1 through 2 says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. We talked as we opened this up about the need for a certain place, a place that we all have where we can go meet with the Lord together on a regular basis. A certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. What a great, what a great request. Teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, and we've said this over and over again, that this prayer that Jesus teaches them, known as the Lord's Prayer or Our Father, in the original language was just 31 words. And they were rhyming words to help them remember. It was a very, very simple prayer, almost like a nursery rhyme-ish prayer, intentionally simple. And too often, I think, we try to make prayer so much more complicated than it is. We have volumes of books written about prayer, and oftentimes they just are way too complicated. When disciples said to Jesus, teach us to pray, he said, when you pray, say these things. So let's say this together, put it up on the screen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Today we're going to focus on give us this day our daily bread. The idea of what does it mean to petition the Lord. Now the word petition in its most simplest form is just asking God to meet our needs. This is probably the most um, used form of prayer, right? People who aren't even wouldn't even necessarily consider themselves followers of Christ will engage in this form of prayer. Petition, Lord help me. Something's going on in my life. I, I don't even know who you are. God, if you're out there, you know, the movies will you. God, if you're out there, if you're real, I need you to do these things, right? They call on a higher power. They look for, because oftentimes we face things in life that are bigger than what we feel like we can handle alone. And so we seek out something bigger than ourselves and petition that thing. We believe it to be the one true creator, God. But you understand what I'm saying? Even people who don't believe in the one true creator God sometimes will call out on that higher power. They will petition for help. Come meet me because I am in need. This is what petition is in its simplest form. And we've all experienced that. We've all experienced it. We could take, take the chairs and put them in a big circle and we could have a, a sharing time and spend hours talking about all of the times we've been in need where we've needed God to come and, and invade our circumstance, our situation, do something for us on our behalf because we can't handle it. And sometimes they're big and overwhelming, miracle needing needs. Anybody ever been there? I remember when um, my wife Karen was, when she was pregnant with our first son, Eli, she got blood clots in her leg. And um, it's dangerous to have blood clots in case you didn't know, um, deadly even. And um, they put her on uh, some blood thinners. And after Eli was born, our oldest son was born, we went to the doctor and we asked, like, is this pregnancy related or what do we do? Should we get pregnant again? How should we approach this? And it was 50-50 shot is what the doctor told us. So we proceeded to get pregnant again with Josiah, our youngest son. And within the first month of uh, Karen being pregnant with Josiah, she developed a blood clot that was thrown from her leg into her lungs. That is extremely dangerous. Lungs, heart, brain, those are problems, big, big problems. And I was a long ways away. This was before cell phones even. We, oh, I mean, I had cell phones, but they were the bricks. Um, I, had, uh, I didn't even have a pager yet because we're too early into the pregnancy to need a pager to come, you know, the baby's coming anytime. You know, we'd do pagers. They, the hospitals used to actually check out pagers to you. Like they would sign them out like a library card for pregnancies. It's too early for that, and um, she was laying in bed. She was trying to wake up. Eli was crying, and, and as she woke up, the entire room was spinning, and she was extremely ill, and she couldn't get up out of bed, and she, she made a way to um, call her dad, and they lived just down the road from us. I was, I was over 45 minutes away at work. She called her dad. Her dad came, and somehow he broke into the house, or she made a way to the front door, and, and um, they called the hospital, and they took her to the hospital, 
to the doctor's office. The ladies that come to the doctor's office. She goes to the doctor's office, climbs this like 20 flight of stairs up to the doctor's office and walks in the door and the doctor, her doctor, her, sees her and says, oh my God, what are you doing here? He could see on her face already that she was on the verge of death. On the verge of death. He said, we need to call an ambulance. Called an ambulance immediately. Put her in an ambulance and take her to the hospital. I've been called now and I'm on my way to the hospital to find out what's going on. At this point, we don't know that she's thrown a clot into her lungs, but we know that there's a problem. We get to the hospital, they figure out what's going on. And I'm in the hospital room and the doctor comes in and he tells us, listen, this is not good. All of her vitals are way out of control and here's what's going to happen. The doctor's telling me, here's what's going to happen. You have no say in this. If her vitals do not settle down in the next five minutes or so, we are going to flush her blood with like a draino like substance and it will dissolve the child. There will be no more child, but you don't have a say because the mother, her life is more important right now to save her than anything else. That's how dire it was. And I have no idea. I am 22 years old. One, maybe. 21, somewhere right, young and dumb. Young, dumb, and broke. <laughs> All of those things, that's what I am. And I, I just remember thinking to myself, when the doctor said, you have no say in this, I remember thinking to myself, bet I do. I bet I do have a say in this. Because I know somebody that's bigger than you. And so we prayed. And within five minutes, her vitals all came down. And the doctor said, this is, this is, this is miraculous. It shouldn't happen. It shouldn't go like this. And it started eight months of a long journey of, you know, she was on heparin and a blood, she had a, a pump, that, a pick line that went directly into her heart and pumped blood thinners into her heart. Every single day, a, a home care nurse would come and check her blood. But on that day, in that hospital room, when that doctor said, you don't have a say, we sought God because we knew he has a say. Sometimes we need to say help for big Miracle needing, overwhelming situations. Anybody? And sometimes we just need it for simple things. Sometimes we just need it for our day in and day out lives. I remember one Christmas in Colorado, we were still young, dumb, and broke. We're still young, dumb, and broke. So, uh, <laughs> whatever. But we, uh, we were going to have a Christmas. I mean, there was never, Christmas has never been canceled, praise the Lord. We were still going to have Christmas, but it was going to be a little bit tighter than we would like it to be and not be able to really bless our kids like we would like to and whatever. And it just kind of was life was happening. And, and uh, I remember just sort of, Lord, if there's a way, like, help us somehow. Like, we want to, wanna, it's not a big deal. There are kids who don't have anything, so I get it. Like, it's not like the end of the world. This is a 100% a first world problem. But if you could help us, like, that would be awesome. And I remember walking out of King Supers. That's what they, anybody's been to a King Supers before? It's a grocery store, in case you weren't wondering. It's like a Kroger grocery store or whatever. So I remember walking out of King Supers and there were all these Christmas trees set up to the left and we were walking out. We had to sort of go through them to get to our car. And as I'm walking through the Christmas trees, no lie, I look down and the ground is covered with, uh, with the needles from the Christmas trees, the pine needles from the Christmas trees. But then I noticed that the ground also is covered with cash. <laughs> like cash. And I'm like, I'm looking around, I'm like, is nobody else seeing that there's like 
literally a lot of cash right here on the ground. So I kneel down and I'm like picking up all this cash and I'm looking around and nobody's around. And I'm picking up all this cash and nobody's around. It's like $320 of cash just laying on the, just spread out on the ground. I was like, bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Now I collected all up and it, we did the right thing. I called King Supers. I said, listen, I was going out in your parking lot and as I was going out in your parking lot, I found a sum of money. And so if someone calls that they have lost a sum of money, then here's my phone number. You can call me and I will bring it to them. And the person on the other line says, how much is that? I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not how this works. If they lost it, they know how much it is, guaranteed. And I'm not telling you how much it is lest you call your aunt to come tell you that she lost this X amount of dollars and then you collect the money that the Lord has given me. <laughs> and sure enough, we waited for a week, two weeks, nothing. We called. Anybody called about losing a sum of money in the parking lot? How much money? Well, they would know and you would know if they called that they lost some money, nothing. Sometimes it's just the simple things with the Lord. You're like, I don't know. That sounds coincidental. Maybe. I just choose to thank God for it. It might have been coincidental, but I just choose to thank God that here we were in this situation. And, and in that situation, $320 went a long ways towards Christmas for our kids. Sometimes we need big things. and Sometimes we need little things. It's this asking God, inviting God. See, these insignificant things like this Christmas money, it doesn't really matter. You're like, oh, that's kind of dumb. It is kind of lame. It's like, I get it. I agree with you. It's like praying for a parking spot. That's kind of lame, right? Like, why waste your faith on a parking spot? Well, why not exercise your faith to believe God for whatever, a parking spot? Who really cares? We don't need to get all wrapped up around the exit. Well, here's the thing. When we believe God for smaller things, the habit of praying for smaller things invites God into uh, our, our all. It positions us. So we say, God, I want you to be involved in the big issues that I have in my life, and I also want you to just be involved in every part of my life. I also want you just to be involved in, in how I view my coworkers. I want you to be involved in, in the little things that are going on in my life. And so I want to pray and petition you for all things, not just the big things, not just when life is falling apart, but really in all things. And what happens when we do that, when we invite God into the smaller things, into our, the all of our life, it positions our hearts for perpetual gratitude. Somebody might tell me, well, that seems coincidental that you just found that money. True. But you know what happened in my heart? Gratitude. Thank you, God. How do you know it was God? How do you know it wasn't? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We can do that argument all day long, but what it did for me, because I was seeking him for all of the things in my life, it positioned my heart to be in a place of gratitude. God, I thank you that you care about the little things in my life. And when our hearts are in this place of perpetual gratitude, we begin to practice what 1 Thessalonians tells us, which is what? Rejoice always. Pray continually. In all things, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So it, it positions us, it puts us in a place where we can learn how to rejoice in the Lord in all things and, and pray continually for all things. And, and then we can, we can find ourselves giving thanks in all things. Notice it doesn't say give thanks for all things. There are some things you should not give thanks for. But in the midst of it, you can give thanks because God's good. Amen.
Makes me think about what Archbishop William Temple said. He said, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I stop praying, the coincidences stop happening. It was just a coincidence you found that money. Yeah, <laughs> probably. I don't know. It's a cheesy thing, but we used to say a coincidence is a Christ-ordered incident. Coincidence. Christ-ordered incident. Right? Sure. When I pray, coincidences happen. And strangely, when I stop praying, they stop happening. Or what Corey Ten Boom said, she said, if a care is too small to be turned into a prayer, it is too small to be made into a burden. We have big things that we need God's help for and little things that we need God's help for. And God is more than happy to have us bring all of those petitions to him. Now I want to talk a little bit about the why and the how of petitions. So why should we petition God and how then should we petition the Lord? And we'll do that out of Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Now this is a section of the Sermon on the Mount, it's really towards the end of the greatest dissertation that Jesus gave that we know of. It's the largest set of texts where Jesus teaches about all kinds of things. Many call it the constitution of the kingdom of God. But this is Jesus setting the parameters. This is how the kingdom of God functions and operates. And at the end of it, he comes to this section on praying. And in, in verse 7, he says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. Verse 9 says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Notice the, the emphasis of this text is on God as a good father. Jesus, this is the second time in the Sermon on the Mount, at least the second time in the Sermon on the Mount, where he circles back to prayer. Earlier, we had the Lord's Prayer, where he talks about when you pray. He says, like, when you give, right, when you fast, when you pray, and he gives sort of parameters, do it this way or don't do it this way. Don't be like the hypocrites who stand on the corner and they have these long prayers and they think they're more spiritual than the show that they put on. Don't be like them because people will think that they're great and that's their reward, what people think about them. But if you'll go in secret and seek the Father who's in secret, then he'll reward you in secret. And the reward of secret prayer or prayer with the Father is the Father. And here Jesus circles back to prayer and he's talking specifically about petitioning God. So at some point he feels like the disciples need to be encouraged again that they can bring their prayers, their petitions before the Father. And what he shares with them is that the Father is good and that he longs to hear their petitions and answer their petitions. He's ready to give good gifts. He's ready to meet our needs, not necessarily our wants, but always our needs. And I love that he talks about God, that God is no spiritual huckster. He's not a trickster. He's like, which one of you, if your son asks you for bread, will give him a stone, would trick him? 
Or if he asked for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. No, well, they're all looking at it like, none of us. That seems crazy. Why would I do that to my own child, right? He says, you who are evil, meaning they just have a, a sinful nature. God has no evil, no sinfulness. There's, there's nothing in him that is of darkness or sin, right? It's like, you, you get it and you're wicked. You get it and you're sinful and you wouldn't do that. What makes you think that God would be a huckster? What makes you think that God would be a trickster? What makes you think that God would mess with your emotions or play with your emotions like that? He will not do those things. He's good and he desires to give you good gifts. When you come before the Lord and petition, we have to recognize that he is good and he longs to give us good gifts. That's good news. I love the way that N.T. Wright says, as he said, for most of us, because people get, they struggle with this. They'll be like, well, what if I'm asking too much? I come too often. I'm asking for too many things, or maybe I'm asking for the wrong things. N.T. Wright says this, for most of us, the problem is not that we are too eager to ask for the wrong things. The problem is that we're not eager enough to ask for the right things. We're not eager enough to ask for the right things. And I think that God is more honored if we come to him regularly for the things that we need in our lives and even the things we perceive we need. They might just be our wants, but we perceive that we need them. God is more honored when we come before him regularly and we're laying things out before him. Lord, I need these. I need you to help me here. Here are my petitions. And we might get a little bit out of line on those petitions and he can correct us back rather than just not seeking God at all. Not bringing any petitions at all. Trying to figure it out on our, our own. Lord, I'll, I'll pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I will find a way. I will make it happen. He's more honored when we bring him all of our petitions than when we try to get it along on our own. Do it ourselves. There is no such thing as a self-made Christian. There's really no such thing as a self-made man. But there's definitely no, no such thing as a self-made Christian. And so the idea of pulling myself up in my bootstraps and getting by myself, and I don't need God's help, I'll find a way. If it is to be, right, it's up to me. That's not a Christian principle. God's more honored when we bring our petitions, even if they get a little bit out of hand. He's more honored if we bring them before him than if we just ignore them altogether. Amen? If you're worried, like, I might be asking for the wrong things, just go ahead and start asking. Better that you just start asking and get in, the, get in the practice of petitioning the Lord than not petitioning him because you're afraid it might be the wrong petition. So why petition? So the three things we're going to talk about about why we should petition. This relational, this vulnerability that we have, and this intentionality that there comes with petitioning the Lord. And, and first and foremost, we have to understand we petition God because the Bible instructs us to do so. Like we believe that this, this, this book, is, we live by what this book tells us to do. And so the Bible instructs us to petition the Lord. Therefore, our petitioning is an act of obedience. For example, in Philippians 4, 6, it tells us to do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. If I was an old school preacher, I'd tell you to say everything, but I'm not. So, But in everything, thank you, by prayer and supplication, With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
the scripture, it says this over and over again, just different ways throughout the scripture of bringing our requests before God in everything. Like, don't be anxious about anything. Anybody ever get anxious about stuff? Like, I do. I do. Right? This is a great reminder. No. Why should I petition the Lord? Because he says to us that in anything, everything, make your requests known. Bring them to me. And so just a simple petition is an act of obedience to what Scripture calls us to. H.H. Farmer said, if prayer is the heart of religion, which we believe that it is, then petition is the heart of prayer. This is what this is saying. And everything, petition the Lord. This is the heartbeat of prayer. So when you go to sign up for your hour of prayer time, bring your petitions to the prayer room. Bring your petitions for your family. Bring your petitions for your health. Bring your petitions for your finances. Bring your petitions for your job. Bring your petitions for your neighbors. Bring your petitions. Just bring them all. It's crazy if you start lining out your petitions, how quickly an hour will go. Y'all with me? I remember one time years ago, I was just driving down the road. I had a little bit of time behind the wheel. And so what I started doing is I just started calling out every single member of our church, every single one. I, I was calling them out and praying for each one. I didn't know all that they needed, but I was just praying for every single person by name. We were much smaller then, so it wasn't that hard. <laughs> I got through 10 people, you know, and like it, it, all of a sudden, like 35, 40 minutes have gone by just for praying for 10 people, petitioning the Lord on their behalf. It's the heartbeat of prayer. So first is relational. God is without question interested in relationship. God is without question interested in relationship. And petitioning God is, an, is a relational engagement. Now listen to me. Wishing is not. Wishing that God would do something is not a relational engagement. Why should we petition God? Because God is interested in relationship. He wants us to come to him relationally and seek him relationally, and engage him relationally. You notice in Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11, that Jesus uses this sort of same familial language and imagery to drive home his point about petitioning. We talked about the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer is our Father, that there is this familial language that's there, that God is calling us into this relational um, intimacy together. And here Jesus uses a very similar imagery and story to drive home the point of petitioning prayer. He uses the idea of, of son. Which one of you having a son, if your son asked you for bread, would do, right? He uses the, the idea of, of children. He uses the idea of, of the father, the good father. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your father give good gifts? This, this familial relational language that Jesus uses to drive home the point of why we should petition God. It's also a vulnerability in this petitioning. Why do we petition? Because when we petition God, we are admitting our need for help. We are becoming vulnerable in his presence. Here's what's crazy. You do it, I do it, we all do it. We pretend like God doesn't already know. 
You know what I'm saying? We act like perhaps we can hide things from God. I'll tell them, I'll, I'll, if we call it marginal deception, it's about what you don't say. It's not about what you say, it's about what you didn't say, right? So you tell God part of his story. God, if you could help, you know, I, need, I, I just need a job. I'm thinking about moving on a little bit in life. You've got to tell him that you're getting fired because you stole something from the company. You know, you try to withhold things. He already knows all of that. And when we come before him and petition him, we are exposing ourselves before him. We are becoming vulnerable. He's asking us to be vulnerable, to lay our lives before him. And he already knows what we have need of before we ask. We're admitting our need for help that we, like children, recognize our dependence on the Father. Even for the simplest things, he uses this imagery of if your child, if your son asks for bread, would you give him a stone? He asked for fish. Would you give him a serpent? He's using the most simple, fundamental, base needs of a person, of humanity, right? It's recognizing I am in need of God's help in my life. I'm dependent on what the Father does or does not do for me. And this vulnerability is also an act of faith. It opens up our hearts uh, for God's miraculous intervention. And the scripture tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is an essential part of our uh, structures of belief. Belief and faith, they go hand in hand. They're synonyms, right? And so this idea of faith is this, this willingness to yield myself to God, to trust in God for what I need. And so when we are vulnerable before him and we petition him, we begin to act on our faith and open up our hearts for God's miraculous intervention. We say, God, I need you to come into my situation. And in doing so, saying, I need your help, we're now opening our hearts up for God's miraculous intervention. And sometimes we need big miracles and sometimes we need little miracles. The miracles nonetheless. Anytime God intervenes and breaks in on our behalf, it's a miracle. It's worthy of celebration. It's worthy of glory. It's worthy of gratitude to God. Amen? And then why, why else should we petition? Well, it creates this in, intentional or influential relationship with God. So God invites us in our petitions to co-labor with him by intentionally engaging him over our needs and even over our wants. He doesn't guarantee that he will give us our wants, but he doesn't ever say, don't ask me for your wants. Y'all with me? He doesn't say that. He doesn't, he doesn't draw lines in the sand about those things. So when we engage him, what we're doing is saying, Lord, we want to co-labor with you. We want to engage with you in regards to what's going on in our lives. Now, understand that God is sovereign. Amen? Because it means he's in control. He takes uh, direction from no one. <laughs> he does what he wants to do. But in his sovereignty, God has chosen to empower us as his people. He has created us in his image. He's breathed the breath of life into us. He's given us his spirit to lead us, to guide us, to direct us. And he has said multiple times through scripture that he wants to co-labor with us for the sake of the world. 
like ambassadors of Christ, right? And so when we pray, when we petition, there is an element of this intentional, um, this intentionality that we have, but also this element of influence that we have on the situation. The idea that God is saying, come, bring your prayers to me, bring your petitions to me, is saying, I want you to engage with me so that you can see how we co-labor together in this world. Everybody follow me on that. It's not saying that you're going to be able to twist God's arm. Make him do something he doesn't want to do. Make him do something that's contrary to his character. It's not saying that at all. But there is an indication here, an implication here, that he's saying, come and talk to me because your talking to me has effect on what's going on in your life. As a matter of fact, Blaise Pascal said this, God has instituted prayer to impart to his creatures the dignity of causality. Meaning, God says, I want you to pray and your prayers have an effect on what happens. That I want you to see that you co-labor with me. James said it like this. He said that Elijah was a man just like us and he, he, he earnestly prayed that it would not rain. It did not rain for three and a half years. We talked about this last week, right? It did not rain for three and a half years and he, rained, he prayed again and then it rained. But the scripture says about, or James says about Elijah, that the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much. That means that it has causality. That the fervent, effectual prayer, effectual means that there is an effect that comes from a passionate prayer of a person who is connected to God. Why do other versions say that it's dynamic in its working? It's not static. It's not like, well, I'm just going to pray this, but God's going to do whatever he wants to do anyways. It's dynamic. It means that I co-labor with God through my prayers. That's why we petition. Amen. And then lastly, how then should we petition? And I think Jesus lines it out pretty clearly with ask, seek, Jesus lines out an intensifying order of prayer. Ask, seek, knock. Does not coerce a reluctant God? It's not what Jesus, I mean, this is Jesus speaking. He's not saying, you're going to, I, I, I'm really reluctant to do what you want, but if you will follow this, then you can coerce me into your will over my will. That's not what's happening here. Amen? But what it does is it reveals the level of interest and concern of the person who is asking, the person who is seeking, and the person who is knocking. There's a certain level of like, let me see what it is that you want to have happen in your life. I was speaking with a, a parent the other day. I'm a, uh, I am now the head coach of the golf team at Wilsonville, um, was promoted this week. I'm not sure what that means, but I'm the head coach. I have a lot more responsibility. I was talking to one of the parents of one of our golfers, and he said to me, I asked him um, if, if his son had been out playing, if he dusted off his clubs, got out to the range. Or like, I don't know. He's like, what I've chosen to do is that if he wants it, he'll go after it. He's like, I, I, will, I will be more than happy to provide for him everything he needs to be successful if he wants to go after it. He'll go after it. He'll ask me for 
my help when I need it. This is kind of what I think about here. He's saying, listen, I want to gauge how important is this to you? Is this just sort of a side thought or is this something that matters to you? And does it matter enough that you will ask? Does it matter enough that you will seek? Does it matter enough that you will knock on the door for it to happen? What is the level of interest? What is the level of concern that you carry for that thing that you are praying or petitioning God for? James 4, 2, the second part, tells us that you do not have because you do not ask. Fairly simple. Back in the day, we said, you have not because you ask not. You haveth not because you asketh not. Not. So how do we petition? We ask, we seek, we knock. Now, in your Bible, if you, if you do such a thing, I do all the time, I would highlight those things. And what I've written in my Bible is that these three words, ask, seek, knock, these are verbs that are written in the active imperative form or the active imperative sense, meaning this. What it's really saying is ask and keep on asking until you receive. Seek and keep on seeking until you find. Knock and keep on knocking until the door is open to you. Y'all follow me on that. It's not, let me go into my prayer closet, ask once, seek once, knock once, and oh well, God's not interested in what's going on. In fact, there's another parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 18 about the, the persistent widow. And the persistent widow goes before the judge, an unjust judge, a judge that cares little about righteousness or about this widow, and she pleads her case day after day. Persistently coming before the judge saying, please help me. What has happened is unjust. Bring justice my way. And the scripture said, this parable, Jesus says, it was because of her importunity, because she was persistent, because she wouldn't give up, because she asked and kept asking, sought and kept seeking, knocked and kept knocking. The judge finally says, fine, here is your justice. Jesus uses this parable in regards to prayer. The tense of these verbs, ask, seek, knock, is that we should continue in them until we see God move. This keeping on asking and seeking and and knocking creates this sense of habit, this sense of repetition, this sense of perseverance. The idea of asking is that we make And keep on making our petitions known to God. And when we we make our petitions known and we keep on asking God about our petitions, the reward of that is when we receive the very things that we've been asking for. Ask and you shall receive. The idea of seeking, we seek after God, we seek after God's kingdom, we seek after God's will, we seek after God's way. And in seeking, he promises us that the reward is that we will find these things. That we will find God's kingdom breaking forth in our lives. That we will find God's will showing up. We will find God's way showing up in our lives. If we're seeking for it, that it's going to show up. You're going to find it. Keep seeking until you do. And he says, knock, 
and the door will be open. This implies that not every door will be open when we get to it. Have you ever felt resistance before in your prayers? Like, I know this is the will of God. I know God wants my children to be saved. I know God wants health for my family or whatever, whatever the thing may be. I know that the purpose of God is for it to be different than it is. But I feel like I'm just coming up against the door. Well, Jesus says, knock on the door. When we come to a closed door, it doesn't mean no. Too often we think that just because the door is closed that God has said no. But that's not the case. Jesus tells us that we should knock and keep on knocking. And if we've been seeking the will of God and the kingdom of God, more than likely we'll be ending up at the right doors that need to be knocked on. Y'all with me on this? They, they kind of go hand in hand. We're asking God. We're seeking his kingdom, his will, and his way. And when things get in the way of his kingdom, his will, his way, we might, might need to knock. And then we're seeking his way. He might say, wrong door. Okay, let's keep going. We'll find another door. But it also might be closed and we might need to knock there too. It's okay to just keep knocking on the doors until God opens one up for what he wants to do in our lives according to his purpose and his will and his way. There are times, and we'll talk more about this next week in regards to unanswered prayers, there's, pro- there's times our prayers are not answered because we're asking wrongly. We're asking with selfish motivations and we just are doing it for whatever we want out of it. So there, there are times it's like you ask, but you're not asking the right way. So there are moments where our prayers are hindered because we are selfishly seeking things just to please ourselves. That's not what this is about. This is about someone who's bringing petitions before the Lord and asking God to intervene on their behalf, seeking his kingdom, his will, and his way. And we come up against these doors, we knock and ask the Lord to open the the door. The worship team can come on up. Jordan and Alyssa can come on up. Adam Clark, who writes commentaries he, on this particular section of Scripture, he wrote, Ask with confidence and humility. Seek with care and application. Knock with earnestness and perseverance. This is what the Scriptures are calling us into in prayer, in particular the petitioning prayer. That we come before the Lord in such a way that we are confident. We come boldly before the throne of grace, the Bible says. But also we're humble. He's God. We're not. Amen. That we seek with care and application. We, we are diligent to look for the kingdom way. We're diligent to ask God for what does it look like for your will, your kingdom to break forth in my life. And we knock with earnestness and perseverance. There's a level of ur- urgency knocking on door. Any parents in here have had this happen in the middle of the night when kids come and they knock on the bedroom door. At least we had rules. You had to knock before you came in, but you know, whatever. And they knock on the bedroom door in the middle of the night like something's going on. What's going on? Knock, knock, knock. Invited in. 
what's going on? I had a bad dream. Whatever the petition, mom and dad, help me. I'm vulnerable. I need you. This is what our petitions do with the Lord. You knock on the door. I need you, God, to intervene on my behalf. Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make Him known. If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.